Good evening, you're watching a Stockwatch. Join me to unpack your stock-related questions. This evening, our Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers and Independent Analyst Jimmy Muyaha. Be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392. Email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. Quite a lot of uh, macroeconomic uh, developments that uh, markets are digesting at this moment. Um, let's actually start off with those Fed minutes. Um, it really seemed that, to me, the Fed didn't say anything different on those Fed minutes than they have been saying since that, me that, that, that meeting. Uh, but even before the ADP payrolls actually came out, markets were already experiencing sharp losses. Uh, did I miss something there, uh, Rowan, in those Fed minutes? What's up with the negative sentiment when nothing's a surprise? Yeah, so often what you see is a confirmation of uh, information that's already known and it can just reinforce the message and sort of, so the markets, uh, yeah, I think fully accepting that we're going to see another rate hike, which uh, I think it still wasn't uh, 100% certainty at the, at the next uh, Fed meeting. And then the other thing that uh, wasn't unanimous, uh, the uh, decision to pause. So there are quite a few of the Fed governors that are hawkish already and uh, wanted to continue uh, hiking and not actually pause or skip, depending how you see it. And uh, so I think that added uh, yeah, to the, the negative sentiment. And, and uh, it just also is uh, the market had been quite strong in, in June and so maybe some profit-taking as well. And then we saw an acceleration of that. I guess, given the ADP figures, uh, mm. which just reinforce how strong the U.S. economy remains. And, uh, yeah, I guess the hawkish tone, so that uh, compounded off and uh, profit-taking continued and the, the set-off uh, gained some momentum. Yeah, and, and uh, actually, seeming that the ADP perils then kind of uh, really put into focus why there is still lingering hawkish, uh, hawkishness there among uh, Fed officials. Uh, just on that, when it comes to the economy, Jimmy, does this uh, change your perspective on what we could end up with uh, in terms of the GDP number for the US by the end of this year? Yeah, I think it definitely does put the, that number into question. But more so at this stage, it now brings to or brings back into the fold the increased risks of um, the Feds and other central banks being the trigger points for a global recession. So in an effort to maintain and curb and manage the inflationary picture, each country is going to make whatever interest rate adjustments they feel necessary and that sort of thing. But what you're going to see is this could potentially put a lot more strain. I mean, look at South Africa's picture um, as an example. If we do continue on the rate hiking path, in all likelihood, we will go into a recession. Now, from a U.S. point of view, these numbers are very much what we saw. Um, if you if you think back to the jobs print that we got a couple of months ago, we had expected, I think it was somewhere in the region of about um, 189,000 or or just over 200,000 jobs um, when we got the non-farms numbers. And that print came in at 585,000. And similar market reaction took place uh, back when that happened to what we're seeing now. So the market had been pricing in things uh, up to this point, And now suddenly um, we're having to sort of correct for what we thought the situation looked like versus what the situation what the data actually suggests that the situation is. So yes, the, the GDP print is going to look uh, different if we continue on this trajectory. 
but we're not out of the woods yet where we can safely say the GDP numbers are going to be significantly high and that sort of thing. Because if we do see uh, a global recession or we do see some form of um, Fed-led recession, then that could change the GDP picture as well. So yeah. there's still a couple of things that are up in the air and we'll have to wait and see um, as the data points come out because that's all we can really do at this point, it seems. Well, let's bring it back to the markets. Um, Jimmy talks about how we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, bad news coming uh, on the monetary policy front and also even the economic activity front. We did have those weak uh, PMI numbers coming out earlier on in the week. Um, and I'm wondering, Rowan, for the second half... Um, should we still expect those uh, those rallies to be limited to tech? Um, and maybe even there could be a cap on the rallies that we could see in tech because of the high interest rates. Or do you think that uh, the breadth could kind of broaden a little bit? Yeah, I think that's what people were hoping, that there would be a, a broadening. And we did start to see the rest of the market catch up with that uh, big tech sector, which has really led the charge. And uh, interesting to see the NASDAQ had the best first half ever yeah. uh, off the back of those uh, very significant moves. But if you take the top five big tech stocks out of it, it was uh, less pronounced. So it was very narrow. So people were hoping for a broadening. But I think uh, a lot of the returns that we've seen for the year to date have uh, been realized. So I don't see markets really being able to move further from here. Uh, mm partly because we had such a strong first half. I think there's a lot of uh, bullishness, uh, particularly in those tech valuations built in already. And then, uh, as you say, and, and as Jimmy's saying, the sort of uh, interest rate outlook is changing. I think uh, at the beginning of the year, the initial uh, forecasts were for rate cuts by the end of the year. Um, and there was still, uh, until recently, the market was clinging on to a potential cut uh, in December. But I think that's no longer the case. Instead, we're going to continue to see hikes. Uh, inflation has been quite stubborn, core inflation. So the Fed is very focused on that and other central bankers around the world. So yeah. that's going to be a, put a cap on future price gains uh, for the second half. Ah, all right. Well, let's get into our viewer questions. Uh, we have one here for PPC. Can you comment on PPC? Is it a good stock to hold for long term? Uh, Jimmy? We've spoken about PPC uh, in the past on the show, um, and I think I spoke about it about two, two weeks ago or so with Simon on the show. The, the, the stock itself uh, has been... Uh, and eagerly anticipating the benefits of some of the infrastructure development programs uh, that were announced and some of the um, sort of benefits that would come from the restrictions placed on imports around cement um, by that government announcement. But what we have seen is that that hasn't come to fruition as expected. Yes, Sunrail projects are still going ahead, and that's providing a lot of um, demand on the, on the cement side of it. But I think what we're seeing here is there's the, the construction space um, has been under significant pressure for a number of years, and the, the performance of this space has been largely reliant on the pursuant or the um, finalization of these infrastructure projects. They've all been approved in principle. I mean, we've had talks about them. We've had talks around the infrastructure um, budgets being increased, but that hasn't necessarily come all the way through the entire value chain. You've seen very few players um, continue to be able to sort of recover uh, from order book or be able to deliver on order books and that sort of thing. Um, but I don't think at this stage, I mean, the shares at about 2 rand 50 at the moment, 
it's sort of sat in this range for the majority of the year, mm. having briefly touched above three rand. If you're entering the market at this point, you're getting in at a fairly decent price, assuming again, of course, that um, the demand starts to pick up and the pressures are then uh, alleviated. If interest rates continue the way that we anticipate that they might, as Rowan mentioned, it might not be um, something where you see that that demand returns to the market as anticipated. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, PPC waiting for the government uh, infrastructure spend. It's like that sneeze that you've been waiting to come and it's just not coming. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah. So just talking about that, it's not coming right now, but it will come at some point. We just don't know when. And particularly with the infrastructure needs that we have for um, electricity generation and uh, diversity and the sort. Uh, so for the long term ruin, do you think that this is one that maybe someone should buy at this level and then just hold and wait for that sneeze to finally come? Or are the headwinds also just a lot? Yeah, it's interesting. You could say this about quite a few South African stocks. I mean, we're seeing attractive valuations with sort of unfulfilled potential. And uh, it's been a long sort of waiting game. So I think, you, as you say, the medium-term outlook for infrastructure spend and as the economy needs to green and move to renewables, that's also quite uh, infrastructure, civil-type intensive work that needs to be done. So the medium-term outlook is good, but uh, we need to see, I think, uh, just uh, improved confidence in the South African economy. And that sort of goes back to the outlook for load shedding. So these things are all interconnected. Um, you, you, and again, yeah, uh, you know, the markets are a little bit depressed right now. So if you, you're looking at a five-year view, it may be interesting. I mean, if you have a shorter time horizon, you probably can wait a bit. So, and I think that's that's a problem. That's why these shares are stuck in a range because, uh, you know, it's, you don't need to rush out and buy them now. You can wait and see and wait for, I guess, an improvement in the outlook before you start mm. accumulating. Ah, all right. I hear your point there. Well, let's go into retailers um, and particu part uh, particularly uh, a uh, furniture retailer that is Lewis. Um, your view on Lewis? Uh, I mean, it seems good at the moment. People don't have cash, Jimmy. People don't have cash. <laughs> There's credit available. So, Lewis? Um, look, Rowan uh, hit the nail on the head. It's the outlook of the South African picture, right? And that's going, the way that's interconnected with everything is the more constrained we remain, the less likely it is we'll see recovery, the more pressure the economy is under, uh, the weaker the performance, the more strained the consumer is, the, be the different the decisions the consumer now has to make. Um, yes, I could buy on credit, but as you've seen with the likes of the Fushini Group, where they've gone out and ensured that all of their stocks, or all of their stores are off the grid and unaffected by this, consumers simply do not have the appetite to be going out and spending on things that are non-essential at these elevated interest rate levels. If we had the lowest conversation when the interest rate was at 3.5%, that's a very different conversation to um, prime being 12% effectively, right? So. Consumers now have to make different decisions because they are being forced to. And again, to come back to Rowan's point around the state of the, the economy and the outlook on the economy, interest rates aren't going to come down immediately. And if they do, it's going to take a long time before we see that 3% again. And that's going to affect how we view our credit. If we have to prioritize essential goods, luxuries might not be top of that list. So if we were in the pandemic and we knew we were going to be working from home and people knew they needed the furnitures and that sort of thing, I mean, Lewis at 39 Rand, 
could potentially still come down to 35 rand, but that that stagnation in our economy mm. means consumers don't want to take on unnecessary debts. It seems that Jimmy's a little bit cautious, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, if I got everything uh, that you said right, Jimmy. Um, and you talk about the fact that people at this point aren't necessarily looking to buy non-essential items, but the South African consumer does also attend to surprise, as we saw with new vehicle sales. Um, so I want to know your take, uh, Rowan, on Lewis, particularly also because they seem to be so good at handling that credit portfolio. Yeah, so Lewis has been in the market for ages, and as you said, they're very experienced at managing credit, managing the credit cycle. And it is certainly one of the best-run credit retailers, uh, and I guess one of the few surviving listed furniture credit retailers uh, out there and they have been quite conservative um, they are doing significant share buybacks uh, that is also bolstering earnings while they generate cash uh, the valuation in terms of the PE rating has never been very high so that's um, quite positive as well so it, yeah it's probably in terms of the credit cycle I think uh, the consumer is becoming constrained and we could see an uptick in, in bad debts and those are some of the what we're hearing from analysts as well. Um, so maybe it might be the best time in the cycle, but I think um, if confidence improves, there are quite a few stocks you can put on your on your buy list. And uh, certainly our, uh, Lewis is one to look at just because of the quality of the valuation level. All right, all right. Well, let's move on to commodities. Um, uh, quite a few questions on the platinum stocks. So the first one, uh, is there any hope for platinum in particular? Uh, Amplat and Sibanye, there is another one as well. Uh, can you give comment on the platinum group metals uh, that's uh, been given a beating now? What stock would, you, would be your preferred stock to keep for two years? And here it's Anglo-Plat and Impala. So we have Anglo-Plat, Impala, Sibanye. Jimmy, your take. Uh, the PGM space has been under pressure. We saw that during the commodities rally that we went through. Um, the PGM guys did really well. Uh, average prices were up and that sort of thing. That picture is no longer the same picture. It, it, it is no bearing on the quality of companies that we are referring to or the quality of companies we're looking at. It's an unfortunate function of the macro environment that these companies are uh, playing in at the moment. The, the, the global picture is still very much um, away from the demand expectations we thought we would see. We're not seeing demand for some of these commodities that we thought um, would come out of this, this particular period. Uh, we expected for the longest part that China would be leading demand recovery for the year, and they haven't, they've li haven't lived up to that expectation as well. Um, and so you're seeing that come through, and, and the pressures will continue to, to be there in the short term until, again, the outlook um, that Rowan alluded to looks better locally, but also looking at the international side of it. Right? In terms of where um, the preferred placement is from my perspective, everyone that watches the show that's seen me on the show knows I've got a very soft spot for Sabanya. We're sitting at about 28, 27 Rand. We could potentially come down to 22 Rand. Um, I'm still liking the diversification that the stock presents. If I have to be, if I'm pressed for one, it's mm -hmm. going to be that. All right. Uh, on your side, uh, Rowan, um, would this be a good time to go in seeing, you know, the pressure that uh, the PGM stocks have been under and your preferred stock for the next two years? Impala, uh, Amplats and Sibanye. 
So if it, yeah, if it's one of those three, I would have said Northern, in fact, but that's okay, okay. three. Okay, okay. Um, okay. I mean, so, you can yeah, go into that as well. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the demand outlook uh, uh, medium term is not that uh, great uh, for the PGNs. What we are seeing is the continued switch to um, PEVs away from uh, ICE vehicles, which uh, use uh, platinum in the auto catalyst. And so the sort of, and there was some uh, expectation that helium uh, technology would, would pick up, which does use uh, uh, PGMs, um, but that's not the case. So I think the medium term outlook is not that fantastic from a demand point of view. We're seeing uh, that all the, the platinum group metals prices come down significantly, rhodium down significantly. So, and those uh, businesses have sticky costs, so their margins are going to be squeezed significantly. Personally, I think it's too soon to to enter, but um, uh, yeah, Northern looks like it's got the best uh, runway from here, I think, for the medium term, uh, as far as we can see. Ah, all right. Well, uh, more commodity questions uh, to the esteemed uh, gents. How about Tungela for the long term? How about that dividend yield? Jimmy. <laughs> Tungela, Exaro, the coal space, the coal, average coal prices are, have halved since last year. Mm -hmm. Pretty much the same sort of commodity picture. Um, and added to the, the, the Tungela pressure is, um, unlike other commodities in South Africa, the transnet picture continues to weigh them down. Every single time we speak of Exaro and Tungela, and to the point where Exaro and Tungela executives themselves have expressed frustration with the lack of support from transnet. And what that means in simple terms for you and I holding the stock is any any hopes of Tungela seeing out, uh, a pickup in the share price are heavily reliant on increasing significant volumes because of the average price having come back to where it is. Um, that's how you sort of offset against what average prices were previously, right? Now, in order to increase volumes, you need to be able to get the product to the end supplier, to the end buyer. Transnet is your hindrance there, and there's nothing you can really do about it. If you switch to road, you're incurring increased costs. It's a recurring conversation we've had time and time mm. again. So yes, it is an attractive dividend yield, but I'm not expecting um, guys like Tungela, unfortunately, at this stage to be shooting the lights out in terms of um, exceeding performance expectations by significant margins. At this point, I'd like to just see them get what they have to where it needs to be without disruption. Uh, Rowan, if someone is not in there in Tungela right now, what do they do? Yeah, so uh, as Jimmy's pointed out, there's quite a few operational challenges uh, which uh, do sort of cap uh, the upside. So that's something that you could watch for as a resolution, I guess, of uh, some of the transnet issues, because I think that would uh, be um, something that unblocks uh, sort of potential. Uh, so so that's a potential upside and positive. Also, the, obviously, the coal prices, what we are hearing is uh, some analysts are saying we're moving from La Nina to El Nino. Uh, weather patterns, and that means potentially colder European winters. Uh, we know that uh, gas supply is significantly constrained last winter, and there's a heavier reliance on coal. So we could see coal prices firming uh, somewhat. Um, also, the very hot summers apparently also increasing energy demand in, in Europe as well. So um, that does bode well potentially for, for coal price and demand. So it's something to look at. I think we like Zara more than Tugela just in terms of the entry point and the price here and mm -hmm. where the value is. 
obviously the forward uh, dividend yields are not going to be as high as the historic dividend yields given the, the reduction in, in the coal price. So that's something you have to look at and understand. Um, but uh, yeah, watch Transnet, watch the coal price, and uh, it may be something uh, as it gets closer to European winter to add to the portfolio. All right. Well, let's go into copper. This is a two-part question. Um, what's the panel's view on copper demand for the next five years? Jimmy? Uh, Rowan's covered this already. We're shifting away from internal combustion engines to EVs. It's kind of why I gave Sabanya as well. Mm. The, the diversification from a mining perspective, Sabanya is in copper, Sabanya is in nickel as well, outside the borders of South Africa. So if we are making that play to EVs, we, we know guys like BMW, Audi, all the leading car manufacturers are saying we want to be green by a certain date. If they pursue those goals more actively and we see that happen, you're going to see that the demand for copper will definitely start to pick up because it is significantly uh, more uh, required. It's a significant requirement in EV vehicles more than internal combustion engines at the moment. And so at this stage, it's, it's very much exactly how it was. If we see that switch happen, the demand will happen um, and you'd be well placed in, in a miner that can provide that. Yeah, so Jimmy mentioned Sibanya because the second part of that question is the two copper shares uh, and copper ETF. Uh, what do you recommend, uh, Rowan? Yeah, so um, Anglo-American uh, has a significant copper portfolio as well um, in Chile, and that uh, has been performing well. So the other one is Glencore. So they are diversified global miners. Um, I guess you're not putting all your eggs in the copper basket, so to speak, so uh, more of a diversified basket. So I think that, uh, to me, is a less risky play. Um, and you will play, I guess, the general increase in demand for commodities in the medium term as we switch to renewables and uh, particularly copper. So you get copper exposure through those two stocks. Ah, all right. Well, gents, let's get to your stock picks for today. Jimmy, what are you hanging your hat on today? <laughs> It's interesting. Um, markets have given us a whole different reason to reflect in the last couple of hours alone. Um, but I'm hanging my hat on Walt Disney at the moment. I love the size of the portfolio. I've given this up as a stock pick in the past. Um, we're back around the $89 range. We can potentially still come down to an $80 range. It's difficult for me to see anything coming below uh, that $80 mark. So I'm liking Walt Disney um, at the moment. And I mean, potential upside highs in the, I think 2021 highs were north of 200 and uh, close to $220. So major potential upside at this stage. And I mm. think we are considerably close to what might be a bottom. Yeah, all right. So well, on your side, Aron, what are you picking? I'm picking a Porsche. That's the ticker P911. So that's the new listing of the actual Porsche business not the uh, the holding company of Volkswagen. Uh, so it has done fairly well since the sting or spinning out uh, from Volkswagen uh, from 82 euros to around 110 uh, off a bit. So uh, that's a play on the switch to uh, BV vehicles. They've got some good technology there, as well as sort of a late stage play on um, the fashion and uh, luxury uh, trend that we've seen. But the, the Richmonds, um, the LMVHs, they are fully priced, but Porsche but is a luxury band, so you get that. If you look at the performance of Race or Ferrari that listed 
uh, you would probably be get quite excited about the, the Porsche investment case. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your analysis and insights today, gentlemen. Appreciate it. That's all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guest, Rowan Williams, from Nitrogen Fund Managers and Independent Analyst, Jimmy Muyaha. <laughs>